is some worship. Thank you, team, for leading that, uh, leading us in uh, singing today to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. I want to just say a prayer as we enter into our time uh, of looking at God's Word together. If you would all just bow with me. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, to be in your presence, to be able to lift our voices, to sing your praise, and Lord, now to open your Word. And Lord, our worship does not stop with singing, but Lord, it continues as we, as we look to your Word, as we, as we look to the way that you love us, Lord, the way that you speak to us, the way that, Lord, you come alongside us in relationship. God, you are so good. So, Lord, we give you this time. It's in your Son, your Son's precious and holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. So today we are continuing our series, Finding Jesus, and we are in week five of six. And if you missed the first five weeks of this series, I would highly encourage you uh, to go back and to check out those messages. You can do so at Crossroads ABC or downloading our app. But either way, these messages are not only foundational to where we're at today. They, each message in this series builds on each other, but they're also really foundational to what we believe about Jesus and the way that we discover Jesus. Now the premise, the whole premise of this series is that while we live in this crazy, crazy time, and for all of us it has been crazy, right? I mean, not only kind of living through this COVID-19 virus season, but also over the last couple of weeks watching our entire country literally explode in the midst of racial tension to this last week watching like Seattle, parts of Seattle become its own sovereign nation, right? And whoever would have thought that that would happen in Seattle before Boulder, right? But, but it's happened this week uh, as we've all kind of watched on television and as we've locked, watched through these last couple of months together, one of the things that, that people everywhere are looking for is hope. That we're all looking for peace. We're all looking for something to believe in, something to hold on to. That all of us are, are looking for something. And that thing we just believe is actually a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been doing this series of really what does it look like to find Jesus. And as we've discovered over the last couple of weeks, it all begins really with this first step where Jesus comes and he just says to whoever, the invitation is to everyone, just come and see. Just come and follow me. That there's no commitment. You don't have to believe. You don't have to have your entire life together. Just simply, would you come and follow me? Would you see what life with me is all about? And what we discovered kind of the second week is once we begin to do that, once we begin to, to come and see and really follow and experience life with Jesus, that eventually every single one of us sees ourselves as broken. That we're broken to the, to the core of who we are. That we're broken very much all the way to our identity because of our sin. And that the good news of, of Jesus is that this acknowledgement of our sin does not actually disqualify us, but actually is a prerequisite for believing in him. That Jesus' call is actually a call to sinners and to unbelievers. That when we look at the Gospels and we look at Jesus' life, that his call to follow was not to the elite. It wasn't to the religious of the day. It wasn't to the healthy. It wasn't to all of those who had their lives together. It was to the sinners and the unbelievers. That we might follow him in order that we might believe in him. That he's the one who would save us. And so unashamedly here at Crossroads, we, we want every single person to believe in Jesus, that we want every single person to lean into the teachings of Jesus, regardless of where you're at. And when we do that, the Bible has a special name for us. The Bible calls us disciples, disciples of Jesus. 
Now, when we start to believe and we, we start to kind of identify, have the identity that we are a disciple of Jesus, almost immediately every single one of us asks the question. It's the same question. And the question is, is what does God want from me? Like, what does it look like to be a disciple? What does, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does God or what is God's will for my life? That every single one of us have asked that question at some point in our lives. What is God's will for my life? And so the last couple of weeks, we've gone through this series and, and tried to really look at what is the answer to that question. And, and we saw that one of the great things that God wants for us is for us to become like Jesus, to become like his son, to, to be like Jesus. And we looked at this old Bible word that's the word abide and, and how that translates really to obeying and into looking and becoming like Jesus. And then last week as we gathered together, we looked at this moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, look, I want you disciples to go in your going to make other disciples. Like, like go out to your friends and your families and your co-workers and say, like, come with me. Come. you got to come and see. you got to see what I'm experiencing. And, and I might not be able to answer all your questions. In fact, I might not know all of your questions. But come with me and I'll, I'll do my best to explain and to bring you along. You just have to see Jesus. And as we continue down this road of answering this question of, of, of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, today we're going to come across what is the distinguishing mark of every believer, or at least what should be the distinguishing mark of every believer. See, when we open the scriptures, what we find is that the defining mark of a believer in Jesus is joy. It's joy. Now, for some of you, that might surprise you. In fact, for others of you, you might be like, well, well Matt, like, like when it comes to Christianity, the defining mark of being a Christian is righteousness. That's the mark. For others of you, you say, no, 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 no. For, for believers, it's holiness. For others, if you go, no, 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 if you were a disciple of Jesus, that means that you have your entire life together. That's, that's the mark of believing. And while most of us, when it comes to joy, we, we think of joy in, in these ways, that, that joy is kind of like the icing on the top of the cake of faith, right? Like we see some believers in our lives and, and they have joy, right? Like, like Trevor lives with joy. Mandy, she lives with joy. But for most of us, like, like secretly, we hope that at some point we're, we're able to experience just a little bit of that. And yet when we open the Bibles, when we open our Bible, we see verses that, that are plainly and, and really unapologetically like this, where the Apostle Paul writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Always, 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 always rejoice. All at once, awe-inspiring, and at the same time, haunting, isn't it? Awe-inspiring, because as we think of this verse, always must mean that it's possible. Like, it's possible to experience this kind of joy, possible to experience this kind of happiness in our lives, that, that, that a life in Jesus, that we never have to be without genuine happiness, and yet also haunting, because if you're anything like me, anything like me, that you can so quickly lose your joy. The joy that the scriptures and even God himself commands us to do and to be about. And so I, as we begin this today, I just want you to know that I realize that this is, this is totally counterculture, not only to the way that the world thinks, but oftentimes even the way that we think as believers. That Amy Bloom uh, wrote an essay in 2010 in the New York Times titled The Rap on Happiness. And as she wrote this essay, I think that it sums up the way that most people in and outside the church, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that the way that most people think about happiness, this is what she wrote. 
She said, the real problem with happiness is neither its pursuers nor their books. It's happiness itself. Happiness is like beauty. Part of its glory lies in its transience. And that word just simply means fleeting. It is deep but often brief. And much great uh, prose and poetry makes note of this. Frank Kermode wrote, It seems there is a sort of calamity built into the texture of life. To hold happiness is to hold the understanding that the world passes away from us, that the petals fall and the beloved dies, that no amount of mockery, no amount of fashionable scrowling will keep any of us from knowing and savoring the pleasures of the sun on our face or save us from the adult understanding that it cannot last forever. What she's saying is that if we truly want serenity, if we truly want peace, then we do not pursue happiness. Because once you, if, because anything that you get from joy, anything that you get from joy simply will not last. It will not last. It's, the Hebrews had a word for this. It was hevel, that it's fleeting. It's, it's like vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That no matter what, joy will always disappoint you. Happiness will disappoint you. And the only way that we can get peace, the only way that we can experience any kind of serenity in our life is to try not to be happy is to push away joy. Now, there's something intrinsically problematic about this, isn't it? I mean, let me give you a concrete example of this. If you're a, if you're a Colorado Rockies fan, you get this, don't you? I mean, I was 12 years old when the Rockies moved to town. 12 years old when the Rockies moved to town. And when I was a kid, when I was a kid, like, my joy was in the Rockies. I loved the Rockies. But come on, it has been 27 years in counting, hasn't it? And there have been moments of great highs that have just ended in great disappointment. And at somewhere along those 27 years in my life, I just decided, like, no more. Like, never again will the Rockies break my heart. Like, I'm not giving my heart over to the purple uniforms ever again. And I'll go and I'll have fun at a game. I'll even catch a game or two on TV. But I have detached that I have prepared myself to be disappointed every time, right? Like Nolan Arenado who? Right? Like, for some of you, sports teams are still breaking your hearts. But for most of us, it's a, it's a man or a woman, it's career, it's fame, it's fortune, it's success. And what happens is because our hearts want joy, it's like, like our hearts are like this big vacuum and they're just, they're just sucking, enormous amounts of sucking, and it fixes itself on something and it says, if I can just have that, then I will be happy. Then I'll be happy. And yet the reality is, is that we know, intrinsically inside us, we know that it will not last. So eventually the world, and even some major world religions like Buddhism, tell us and teach us that the only way that I can get peace, the only way that I can get serenity is by stop pursuing joy. Like, don't give your heart to anything. And there's the intrinsic problem with that, right? That if we detach from joy in our life, it somehow dehumanizes us. Like, it, 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 it makes us in such a way that, that it just, like, hardens us to the realities of this world. And see, part of the problem is, is that the world believes that happiness is getting my circumstances all in order. Like, like if everything's going the way that it should and all of my circumstances are moving in the right direction, then, then and only then will I ultimately be happy. And yet the question arrives, well, what about most people who have lived most of the history of this world in circumstances that were not favorable? Like, are they destined to lives of unhappiness? 
Are they destined to, to lives of joylessness? And sadly, the answer is, when we look at it from a worldly perspective, the answer can be nothing more than yes, simply the way the culture defines it. But what if I was to tell you today that there's actually a joy in this world that will last, that you can actually have lasting happiness in your life? See, the reason that I can say that is because of what's written to us in 1 Peter. That Christian joy is not rooted or based in circumstances at all, but it's rooted in something entirely different. And so if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to look at just two verses there today. And as we turn there today, the reason that this verses, these verses are relevant to us is because Peter is writing to a group of Christians in A.D. 64. Right as Emperor Nero was ramping up his persecution of the church. Now listen. The church has experienced huge amounts of persecution throughout history, but none of them were more harsh than Nero's persecution. That at the height of Nero's persecution, he was killing Christians in order to light the Roman roads at night. That nothing in, throughout history was a greater persecution to Christians than the reign of Nero. And as he's ramping that persecution up, Peter writes these words to the church, starting in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not know, uh, now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we read that, and I think to myself, how ridiculous is that statement? Particularly knowing what 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 Peter is writing to, the people that Peter is writing to, the persecution that they're feeling in this moment, how in the world could Peter write these words? Rejoice with a joy that is inexplicable and filled with glory. There's nothing happy about this from a worldly perspective. There's nothing good going on here. So what in the world is Peter talking about? I mean, there's got to be something to the joy that Peter has, this joy that is, that is in Jesus, that Jesus offers that is unlike worldly happiness. Because not only does Peter believe that you can actually maintain this joy through your life, but he actually believes that your joy can grow even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of struggles, even when the world goes sideways. So we have to ask the question, what's that all about? Because to understand what that is all about would be worth investigating. Now, immediately when I read these verses, I notice that, that Peter is telling us what we are experiencing. He's, he's telling the people what they are experiencing. And my, my question is, why does he do that? Why does he tell them what their experience is? He says, you, you love Jesus, that you are loving Jesus, that you are believing in Jesus, that you are rejoicing or enjoying Jesus. That's what he says here. That, that I look at this and I go, I go, why? Why does he tell us what our own experience is in these moments? And I think the reason that he tells us this is because he wants to describe for us what true Christianity is all about. That he's, that he's giving us a marker, like, like here in the north metro area is, is Long's Peak. Like it's a marker. Like you can look out anywhere and you can see Long's Peak and, and know where you're at and know about how far you are away from that. And I think what Peter is doing here is he's looking at us and he's saying, I'm going to give you a marker. 
So that if you ever get distracted in this life, if you ever experience circumstances that make you drift away, that no matter how far you drift away, that you can look up and you can see the pointer, just like Long's Peak, that you can see that pointer and know how far you've drifted and how far away you are. See, true Christianity is about loving Jesus, it's about believing in Jesus, and it's about enjoying Jesus. In other words, being a disciple in Jesus is a first a matter of the heart. It's about loving, believing, and joy rather than performance or circumstance. Let me tell you that again. That being a disciple, first and foremost, is about matters of the heart. Love, belief, joy. Not a matter of performance or circumstance. So when it comes to these three, the first two are easy, right? That when it comes to love, simply put, love is attracted to Jesus for who he is. When it comes to believing or, or faith, that's confidence in Jesus for what he will do. So if love is the attraction that we have for Jesus because of who he is, and believing is the confidence that he's going to do what he's going to do, then we have to ask the question, what is joy? What is joy? Well, biblical joy, as we open up the scriptures, is simply this. It's the satisfying, good feeling that comes with loving and believing in Jesus. That's what joy is. It's the good feeling of satisfaction that comes with loving and believing in Jesus. That it's the echo of the emotions of our hearts. That it's, that it's our hearts experiencing Jesus both in love and in faith, in belief. That joy, love, and belief are all tied together in this knot. See, it would be a total contradiction for me to say that I love my wife, but I have no good feelings of affection toward her. Like, if that was the case for me, then what I would experience is not affection, but rather rejection, isn't it? The faith is the same way. That it would be a total contradiction to say that I, that I trust in this stool that I'm sitting in, that I believe in this stool, that it can do for me what it promised, which is hold my weight, and then have no good feelings in that confidence. In fact, that wouldn't be confidence at all, would it? That we would call that skepticism. That it would be a total contradiction to what we're saying. So Peter concludes here. He says that loving Jesus and having faith in Jesus is ultimate reliability are nothing less than a satisfying good feeling that we call joy. In C.S. Lewis's biography, it's called Surprised by Joy, that before he was a Christian, he was always trying to find joy in other things, that his life pursuit was for happiness. And what he would do is he would binge on things to find his happiness. And so one of his early loves was Icelandic sagas. He loved Icelandic sagas. After he read the first one, he started reading Icelandic sagas all over. In fact, he went so far as to learning Old Norse so that he could read them in the original languages. And as he read them time after time, he realized that the payoff just simply was not there. And so then he started to binge on friends. And he'd give all of his time and all of his energy to friends. And eventually, some of those friends started to back off. And at one point, he starts to realize that there has to be something behind the joy that I'm looking for. There has to be a God. And he concludes way later in life in his great sermon, The Weight of Glory, he says these words. He says, we cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is consistently suggesting it. And we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty. 
The book or music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, our good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echoes of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country that we have not visited. The thing that C.S. Lewis understands is what all of us eventually come to understand, that all things that we attach our happiness to, that our joy to, that we try to look for, ultimately are just signposts to the God who made them. See, true joy, biblical joy, is the satisfying, good feeling that we get from deeply loving and believing in Jesus. And so then the question becomes for every single one of us, then how do we do this? How do, how do we get this? What does this look like? How does it work? Because if I remember correctly, the great Pixar movie Inside Out teached, or taught us that there were value in other emotions, right? That you can't just be joy all the time. That there's value in sorrow and fear and anger. So can they coexist? Can sorrow and joy coexist? Can they mingle? Can they, can they exist in the same moment of time? And I'm telling you, that's not just a deep philosophical question. That's a deep theological question. That's relevant to a 17-year-old, to a 30-something, to a 60-something, to an 80-something. Because it harkens back to the very first verse that I mentioned. Rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. That if we can't rejoice always, then we have to call into question whether any of this is true. It's an important, relevant question that we at least have to answer. And I think the Apostle Paul helps us here. That in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he describes himself this way, sorrowful yet rejoicing, is what he says. He says, I'm in a moment in my life where I am sorrowful, yet I am joyful. Now, I don't think that's a contradiction because we use language this way all the time, don't we? That we all know that sometimes the word joy is, is used of, of delight or happiness to describe these bright and cheerful, sunny days of good feeling. Like, that's joy. But other times, particularly if you've walked with Jesus for a season of your life, then you know this also. That it's also about the good feeling, the sweet, precious, deep, unshakable satisfaction in your soul when the worst of times hits. I'll give you a concrete illustration to this. As some of you have heard uh, me tell stories about my grandfather. My grandfather was, was so important to me in my life. In fact, what I am today was very much influenced by who he was and, and how he influenced me. And we just had a great, great relationship. And when I heard of his passing, when I found out that he died... I experienced this. I, I experienced this like I had never experienced this before. Simultaneously, the reality of, of never being more sad in my life, and yet at the same time delighting in God's mercies, knowing that God had given me almost two decades to live with this man, that God had, had made a way so that my grandfather knew Jesus, and that he was home with Jesus now, See, when the Bible uses the word joy, it's talking about a kind of spiritual experience that sometimes is bright and joyful and jumping 
And at other times, it's the unshakable, sweet, deep satisfaction of your soul as you are crying your eyes out. And that joy that the scriptures speak of is cultivated and springs from a heart of thanksgiving. When we truly understand what Peter calls the salvation of your souls. See, the only reason that we can even understand this joy or even find this joy is because Christianity is the only place where your identity is received, not achieved. Just think of the things that you say, if I just had that, then I would be happy. What is the that there? Is it career? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it fame? Is it social influence? Whatever that is, is a heavy weight, isn't it? It's something that we, that we give our lives to, that all of a sudden it becomes a pressure, the pressure to perform in order to, to achieve this. And if I was just able to achieve this just in this moment, then I would be happy. That's what we tell ourselves. And yet your joy in those moments is totally dependent on your performance. And if we were honest with ourselves, that's not happiness, is it? That's misery. That's why the world concludes, just become detached. That's why the world teaches, just become cynical. Don't let your heart attach to anything because that happiness, it won't last. That joy won't last. When you achieve whatever that is in your life, it'll be haval. It'll, it'll be fleeting. It'll be like dust. It'll be like vapor in the air. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And Jesus is, is the one person who actually gave up his glory and his power and his privilege. And he came and he died on the cross for the penalty of your sin and mine. The inhumanity that, that we had before God and each other. And he took that penalty. And because of that, when we say, I believe in him, I can actually know that God loves me unconditionally. And that God loves me perfectly this day and in the same way that he will love me 500 billion years from now. And when I have that kind of love in my life, and I can build my life on that kind of confidence, then thanksgiving begins to spring and joy fills my life. That I am righteous in Jesus. And what that means is the minute that I become a Christian, the minute that I believe in God, that he loves me wholeheartedly. It's not about achieving. It's simply about receiving the identity that Jesus gives to us. Listen, in the end, we do not forfeit our happiness to follow Jesus. We do not have to forfeit our happiness in order to find Jesus. Do not believe the lie that happiness only comes when the storm fronts clear and the road is shiny. Do not settle for a God who cannot promise happiness and joy in your life, even in the midst of the hard times. That if you love Jesus, Peter says, if you believe in him, he says, then your life will be full of joy. It's the mark of you walking with Jesus. Go, Peter says, and be joyful. Rejoice always, Paul says. Again, I say rejoice. So as we wrap this up, if, if you've never known that kind of joy in your life, if you never have known that kind of happiness, I want to invite you into that relationship with Jesus. We would love for you to come alongside us as we walk, as you walk in that journey. 
You can do so very easily by simply texting the number that you saw earlier, 720-513-1933. Simply text the word believe to that number, and it would be a privilege of ours to walk alongside you in that journey. Can you pray with me, Father? Lord, as we go down this road together, uh, Lord, for many of us, most of our lives, Lord, we've been taught that, um, that happiness is simply fleeting, that it does not last. And Lord, there's some truth to that. Lord, that when we look at our lives and Lord, we try to experience the things that we achieve in this world, and once we achieve them, we realize that that happiness does not last. And so we're confronted with what the world tells us that or that happiness cannot really truly be found. And yet, Lord, as we look to your word, you offer something different. You offer something better. You offer a joy that lasts. You offer a joy that, that fills our lives in such a way, or that even in the hard times, that our joy can grow. God, we want that. And so, Lord, help us not settle for those moments in life where we look at others thinking that, that they have joy, but I'll never experience that. Lord, help us love you more deeply. Let us believe in you more fully. And Lord, let that be expressed in amazing joy as we give thanksgiving to you. God, everything that we have is only because you've given it to us. And so we say thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.